I can wake up and be in the worst mood and I've had a terrible sleep and I think, okay, regardless of how bad this day might feel right now, what are three things that I am excited about? And then when I go to bed at night, I think of three things that I was grateful for that day. Yeah. And it really does. We know it changes the neurochemistry and we know it actually starts to change the way that you focus on things in your day. So you're starting to look for the positive rather than the negative. Yeah. And that can really kind of shift, I think, how you experience and move through your day. How do you find the courage to try? Can you distill the clarity to start? What drives real commitment to keep going? Let's deconstruct complexity and make it simple. Let's learn how to take action and make progress. I'm Pete Seligman, and this is The Next Step. So just to kind of put things in context, can you do like a, call it 60 seconds, but I'm happy for it to be kind of 500 seconds of Beck? like you know where you grew up and then what your kind of careers look like today and then we'll move from there into actually the starting their own business thing great i can't think of a more boring 500 seconds that you can see <laughs> we'll make it, three, we make it 360 <laughs> seconds then. so essentially i am from melbourne originally yeah um i grew up i was born in mornington bush hospital which i always like to say because i oh. think it sounds really cute yeah but then i moved to sydney a couple of years ago so i'm like relatively new to the sydney scene yeah. originally i was like a really nerdy kid hated sport like really skinny and lanky so i was really not into the well-being scene at all but kind of had this epiphany I think when I was deciding what course to do at uni where I was like hang on a second I can use you know what I what brain I've got to become kind of cool so I studied <laughs> physio because I was like this is the key this is yeah. what's gonna make me like cool. I'll get on the sporting field. and then yeah so yeah. I did physio then I was like I know the next step I'll become a sports physio so I got this great job at Olympic Park Sports Medicine in Melbourne which is under Amy Park Stadium we yeah. treated all the great athletes it was awesome but then I kind of realized that I was like living this life that wasn't really me, essentially. Yeah. Like I was like, I, I, I was having to watch AFL games on the weekend and rugby games and be up to date with what was happening in the cricket. Yeah. And it was like very, it was very tiring for me, <laughs> I think, because it just wasn't, wasn't who I really am. Like I love philosophy and books and like yeah. literature and like I'm like just a massive nerd deep down. So putting on this show just didn't work out. So I decided to try and get into the corporate wellness world because I'd seen for myself how important well-being was. I had a car accident and I had to kind of rehab myself back and so started to realize the benefits of exercise and well-being through my own experience. So I was still really passionate about that part, but I was like if I could get into the corporate world, I'll be more around people that are more like me. Yeah. And so I went and worked for a company who I won't name but who do like corporate um, of health and safety and corporate well-being stuff and I just felt like I'd go in and run these workshops for corporates and it was just like putting me to sleep so I felt as though <laughs> you were I being could... boxed into a particular yeah. method that just didn't didn't match who you were either exactly yeah, yeah. and it just you know I kind of said oh let's mix this up and make it more exciting because yeah. people are falling asleep in the back row like no matter how much of I, you know my yeah. pizzazz I could put into it at the end of the day I was like reading off this script that was boring for me so that's when I decided to go out and start my own business so that was probably three years ago now so and you started that in Melbourne in Melbourne or, yeah. initially yeah. yeah which was quite scary mm. <laughs> and obviously leaving a job like physio that's you know I don't know my family thought it was such a great career path and everything so it was like quite a big jump so I I did that and at first it was really hard and awful and I had to go back to like doing some Pilates teaching on the side and stuff to make sure I had enough money and then I moved to Sydney and 
kept working at it um, and now I do a bit of consulting work for a company called Pinnacle Health Group where mm-hmm. we work at Ernst & Young and Westpac running their wellness programs and then do my my business stuff three days a week. Yeah, so, in terms of that point when you actually decided I'm going to start my own business now, how, yeah. how long do you think it took for you to get to that point and then what made you finally jump? I think for me, once things start to feel like my values aren't aligning with my actions, I get to this real, and I always say, I think the biggest, like the easiest path to being unhappy is having values that don't align with actions. And so I kind of got to this point where I was like, hang on a second, I'm the sort of person who really believes in people. If you're not happy, like take a jump and do something else. And I'd been kind of tracking along. I think I only lasted in that corporate job for like nine months yeah. um but for me that was long enough to think to feel like realize. I wasn't being myself so again I was like that's it so I just handed in my resignation yeah. and yeah I'm and, an impulsive person so but did you did you through that process were you thinking this one isn't working I'll go and find another business to join like did you go through that part of the process or did you go this isn't working I'm going to do my own like do you know what I mean? Yeah, did you I try and find another business to join first as you're and you just couldn't this. find one that matched or did you just yeah. go? I mean, as you're saying this, I'm thinking maybe I should have done that. But I, <laughs> No, not at all. No, not at all. <laughs> I think I, I think it's more just most the style of that sort of business is fairly generic, I guess, which mm-hmm. just didn't feel like. And I knew that in order to do it the way that I wanted to do it and to get to really put my personality into it, I had yeah. to do it on my own. Like yeah. there was no, there wasn't an existing product that I felt like I could align could myself with. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And was it scary? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I was, you know, had rent to pay and all those sorts of things. So yeah. Yeah, like I wasn't living at home or anything. So it was a little bit scary, but the good thing about a physio degree is that you can always go back. Like I knew that yeah, any second it. I could just walk into a clinic and they're always desperate for experienced physios. So, yeah. and you can do like pick up a few hours a week. Like I still teach clinical Pilates three hours a week just as a little keeping my foot in the door so So you could have kind of multiple hustles to use the yeah um, going to kind of spin those plates whilst you're building so I know for a lot of people there's a bit of a safety net there. exactly so for most people it's like either my full-time job or I quit and do my side hustle thing yes or like you're trying to madly do it on the weekend but physio is really great like that where I think you've got that option to do part-time work and then just I just had to kind of limit, you know, I didn't buy any clothes for quite a long time. Yeah, I didn't go out yeah. for fancy dinners and yeah. stuff, which is fine. Like, I'm not really about that yeah. anyway. Yeah. yeah, as long as you could buy more books, then you'd be okay. Exactly. Right? That exactly. is where all yeah. my money goes. there's always a library that you <laughs> yes. can borrow from. And so what did the first 12 months look like of that business? I think, I mean, at first there was just like a lot of planning and then I kind of very quickly realized that planning does not make you any money or nor does it kind of provide you with any actual traction in a business so I probably spent like two months like really trying to figure out exactly you know what my brand was and set up the marketing I've got two brothers who are graphic designers so I was like getting them doing all this like logo and stuff and then I think I read I think it's the personal MBA yeah and he talks about like the minimum viable product and I was that really kind of hit a note with me and I thought hang on a second like I just need to get out there and test this out and start doing it and then as soon as I start doing it it'll make it so much easier to pivot and figure out if it works yeah yeah it's it's such a common thing like we're literally and actually Mick now also is working with a business that we're working with that's a startup and we're talking to them a lot about we have this (laughs) phrase that now we're using a lot called progress over perfection yeah where 
people can easily get, particularly if they've come, even more so if they've come from a big corporate background, then the planning thing becomes a massive task. Yeah. And they continue to plan and plan and plan and plan and plan and plan, thinking that their plan needs to be absolutely perfect yeah. before they even take one step. But you're right, that iteration and that MVP that you're talking about is a really good way to think. But it, it does take a little bit of courage because you do need to know that you're going to try that first one and there'll be bits of it that aren't great. Yeah, and right. I think it's probably, it's not probably, it's definitely still like that, right? Yeah. Like I, I mean, I'm still quite new to the industry, I guess, compared to other people in the market. And I know constantly I'm looking at like how many laughs did I get in that session and like yeah. how, how many people fell asleep and, how, you know, <laughs> it's this constant re-evaluation and, and, you know, also looking at whether or not people actually have behavioral change, which is the biggest thing yeah. of what we do. So it's, I think it's just a constant ongoing lifelong process really, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And so what do you say at the moment, like it might've been, actually this would be interesting. So when you first set out, what did you think your product was? When you first yeah. thought, you know what, I'm going to do it differently. And so I'm going to set up a business because I want to offer this. What, yeah. what did you think that was? I think probably, I mean, the, the biggest difference of what I thought it was at the time and what I do now was that it was going to be a business per se, like a all encompassing. I was going to offer ergonomic assessments and do these workshops and thought yeah. I'd eventually hire people. And I've, sort of found my way through it and realized really like I'm my brand and now speaking is my main work that I do. And that has been, for me, I actually realized too that like I get a little bit of the people managing side with what I do with my consulting work. But really what I love is like just being in front of an audience and getting people excited and making change. And so for me, it's changed from being like this business thing and really being more me, I guess. Yeah. 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 The other question for the start to now is who did you think you were going to serve and has that changed much? Yeah, I think that's a really good question because I think most people in the corporate, because all the big companies work for the big corporates, I presumed I'd be more boutique and I'd be like more the little kind of cool cute mm. companies on the side. But I guess what you quickly discover is I'm sure you've seen in working with small businesses is that those small businesses just don't have budget for Mm. wellness unfortunately and there are a few you know i've done some work say with avolo hotels who's like who i would consider i guess a smaller smaller business but they really put such a massive focus on well-being that they Mm. are willing to invest in it so obviously there are exceptions but generally it's been bigger companies than what i'd first yeah presumed would be the target market and is it competitive at that point like how do you find like or, or is your product so different that there's not so much comp- competition between you and oh I, d- I mean I think you know I would like to say it's so different and that's why but I think really it's just a matter of making contacts and I, I love human beings and so I yeah. love like meeting people and like connecting with them and having yeah. good deep chats and I think it's just been a bit of luck in a way that I've happened to meet people over the years and connected with them and felt like we're on the same page and that's where I've had my foot in the door I'd say yeah yeah so then to the other side of the equation which is kind of this kind of the people that you actually work with what do you think is the like I've got a mate who's currently living in um, Jersey like the Channel Isles in the UK and he's moving back to the Gold Coast relatively soon and he runs a mindfulness practice yeah and definitely it's been, I'm trying to work out from my own perspective, 
there is no doubt that when I used to work for Macquarie, which was now coming up to 10 years ago, mindfulness was not a thing. The closest thing we got to mindfulness, I think, was in the London office. They had sleep pods so that at 2 a.m. you could get two hours sleep when you're working on like a 40-hour deal. <laughs> very generous um, of them. So It was very kind. But I'd say that, so it's probably definitely, even in the last five years, but 10 years, that it's become a, a real focus, particularly of bigger yeah. organisations. Like, what do you think is, what's, what's caused that shift? Like, why, do, why are people like your clients thinking so much about I think it's many things. I mean, obviously, the mental health, I don't want to use the word epidemic, but, you know, essentially it is. It's, mm. beca- it's reached the point that it's, A, it's affecting the bottom line of businesses because yeah. the amount of people going on um, yes, sick leave, leave for yeah. mental health issues is, has skyrocketed and it's just become such a national crisis point. I think that people just can't really ignore it anymore. So, like, for example, Westpac have had got a um, chief mental health officer now, which I think is brilliant. Um, So there's been some big write-ups on him. So they're kind of, I think it's considered quite ignorant if you're a big organisation to not be addressing it. And I think maybe another big shift that's happened is this idea of mental health on a spectrum rather than it being people with mental ill health and then normal people. Yes. It's now this spectrum where it's like everyone constantly moves up and down this scale and it's not really about like putting like looking after just the people who've reached the point where they're no longer able to function normally. It's yeah. about knowing that everyone will move up and down that scale throughout their life and how can we best make sure we're looking after them like throughout that process to make sure that they're not ending up down that more tricky end of the scale. I guess it's a bit like being sick, isn't it? Like everyone like gets a cold every now and then yeah. and feels a bit worse than what they might always yeah. feel. And I guess it's the same with mental health, right? Like you go through periods of time where you just feel yeah. a little bit more stressed than you might otherwise yeah. or a bit less fit or healthy than you might otherwise. Yeah. And so it is something you can address constantly. Yeah, totally. And so what what are the kind of programs that you see people put in place? Like how are they, not least of which, because I'm not sitting in one of those corporates right now. And unfortunately, I am running a couple of those small businesses that um, I should be embarrassed don't have the budget to pay oh, for well-being. Yeah. Um, but I should work out a way of doing that. But what are the kind of programs that people are putting in place? Like, what does it look like? Yeah, I mean, put it into practice? I think the first thing I'd say, and in defense of what's happening in small businesses, is that really I believe the crux of good mental well-being in an office or in an organization is not so much like throwing token activities at people it's having good culture within so there is potentially within small businesses if you've got great leaders great managers great people great you know a generally great environment often that is far more important I think than like going in and having free meditation classes so those token things aren't everything but I do think having you know if you can afford it and a lot of these things don't even need to be paid for like a lot of companies that I work with we just set them up with having someone who's going to be the leader who every lunchtime sits down they set a meditation app on their phone in a room like as small as this and essentially just encourage people to come in and meditate together so it doesn't need to cost money so that's the first thing I guess in terms of what people are doing like certainly a lot of organizations get someone like myself in to take meditation sessions on a regular basis or maybe set up like a six to ten week program where maybe there's an educational session at the start where we run through like what are the benefits of mindfulness and meditation and then follow that up with like some practical sessions i think 
the education component is being quite well done, which is really great because, you know, it's smart people like places like Macquarie. You've got yeah. really intelligent human beings who probably still think that maybe meditation is a bit like for people who shave their heads and go and move to India. <laughs> and so teaching them that actually there's a great science behind this stuff. Yes. And we now know that if you do regularly meditate, it's not just about being calm and stress-free. It actually improves things like your focus and your yeah, ability to have good relationships. Yeah. yeah. So I think that education part and then teaching people about like the behavioral change as well that is necessary to start implementing this, giving them practical tips so that it actually can become a part of their life is yeah. probably more key than just throwing free sessions here and there. Like yeah. a free yoga class once a week is nice and it yeah. shows that maybe to a degree you care, yeah. but it probably doesn't have the outcomes. I the think same that, impact. you know, yeah. And so are you spending a lot of your time talking on the education front? Like when you go and speak to a group, is, is most of it education to try and bring them up that curve so then they're ready to listen to what the recommendations might be? Yeah. Or are you finding now in the marketplace most people, they're past, like, they're past the education piece as well because they kind of get it. Now yeah. they're after what the recommendations are. Like it depends on the topic. I mean, I, I talk on a fair few different topics, so it probably depends a little bit on what we're talking about. But with, I mean, say mindfulness, I think a lot of companies haven't actually truly understood from a good scientific background, like what the bit, how it works. Like yeah. I, and I, I think most people, even people who do meditate regularly, don't have a really good grasp on that and what the latest evidence is. And so probably a lot of what I do is going in and presenting that, but in a way that it's interactive and that they're kind of getting practical tools to take away rather than me just going blah, blah, blah. Yeah, <laughs> and then yeah. they all sit there and sleep well, I with guess their like, eyes open. But I guess like you were saying, in the same way that a business could say, I'm going to do a free yoga session on a Wednesday. They could say, oh, yeah, I've booked Beck to come and talk at you for an hour. Yeah. And then that's tick exactly. the box and I'm done. 100%. Right? Yeah. Whereas to actually make it valid, it has to be something that they walk away and it's changed the way they think about something. Because yeah. otherwise it becomes just the token that you were talking yeah. about before anyway. And how do you – I was talking to um, someone earlier about kind of culture and, and change and leadership – and one thing that's really difficult to measure is anything human. Have you had any success in trying to understand kind of measuring the impact of any changes that people have made or even being able to measure whether or not they have changed anything yeah. that they're doing in those organisations? I think it is notoriously highly difficult yeah. to, to measure, definitely, and that's a problem that I think the whole HR wellbeing world faces. I think the two things that we do tend to measure are engagement. So like, you know, whether we get actually get people turning, turning up, up to these sorts yep. of things, which does make, gives us some indication as to interest level. Yep. But then I do always try and do like a pre and post questionnaire that, and again, subjective assessment, yep. which I know from my physio days is not the most reliable form of analysis, but yep. it's kind but of it's all something. we've got. Yep. And it, at least, and you know, you could argue that especially when it comes to mental wellbeing, subjective is probably the most relevant form of assessment. So giving everyone an assessment at the start, which would then help guide us as to what we actually do implement for the yep. organization yep. and then reassessing, you know, if it's a one-off thing, then you reassess probably a month later. If it's something that's more like a six to eight week program or even a year long wellbeing calendar, we yep. might leave it six to 12 months before we reassess. Yeah. Yep. And I don't know if I'm splitting this up right, but for example, I imagine there's a bunch that relates to nutrition and then a bunch to kind of exercise and fitness and then a whole bunch to kind of more mental well-being. Yeah. Yeah. How are you finding 
what's on the demand side in terms of the things that people are most interested in? Are they most interested in the mental piece, the physical piece or the nutrition piece? I would say, I mean, it, it is really trend-based, which is a thing that I struggle with a little bit because obviously yeah. you don't want to be just like, hey, like mindful eating is really cool right now. Let's just yeah. talk about that yeah, because okay. maybe that's A, not what people need and B, not the most evidence-based thing. Yeah. So there's this balance between giving people, I think, what they want and what actually is beneficial to them. Yeah. But certainly there is an interest part that's necessary. I think sleep. So I do a lot of yeah, talk yeah. on sleep and that's quite fashionable at the moment because yeah. Matthew Walker came out with a great book and he's been on yeah. podcasts. And so a lot of people are finding that topical. So the science of sleep has probably been my top workshop lately. Uh-huh. And then obviously the mental wellbeing stuff, like you say, just because it is, again, topical yeah. and something that I think people are really, everyone identifies with, you know, not everyone's into fitness. Yeah. Some people don't really care so much about nutrition, but mental health and stress and anxiety is, is something pervasive. that's global. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so given the various businesses that you've worked with, what do you think is the thing that is coming up as the biggest issue that you see? You know, I imagine that when you're doing your sessions, you kind of say to people, like, what are they struggling with and that yeah. kind of thing. Like, what's the recurring theme of things that you think is facing people in in business today? I think the the biggest complaint I get is time. So whether it's talking about, you know, having a healthier diet or fitting an exercise or meditating, it's just people feeling like they are far too overwhelmed from a time perspective. And I don't have kids, so I always do have to recognize the fact that, you know, if, as soon as you add children into the mix, it becomes yeah. this whole different situation. Yeah. And so I think a lot of what we have to do in the wellbeing world is understand the limitations that we're dealing with and not go in there and say, you know, you need to be doing 30 minutes of exercise every day and then create like cooking yourself a healthy meal, blah, 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 yeah. like meditating for 40 minutes a day. Just like, making it there's a way too high exactly. and then it's just never, yeah. no one's even going to try. Yeah. yeah. It's like public health guidelines. You know, we yeah. know actually people would be healthier if they had 10 serves of veggies a day. Yeah. We don't say that because we know everyone will just freak out and think it's yeah. unrealistic. So we say five. Yeah. So it's kind of, I think in a similar way, I just try and make it all as simple and like easy to consume as possible. Don't patronize people, but simultaneously make sure that it's stuff that's doable within that time, which is seemingly the biggest complaint that people, and you know, we're all on our iPhones and watching Netflix into late hours of the night. So I I have an argument there that maybe if we cut back on that, we'd have more time for (laughs) other stuff. There might be some there. Yeah. 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 And what do you think, like regardless of, so I guess two questions. If you're an individual in a business, of which we all are, what do you think is some easy steps that those people can take to improve well-being, whether it be mindfulness or, or health, and, health and well-being more generally? What are the things that you think are the simplest steps that people can take? It sounds sort of boring, but the vegetable thing for me is really key. So like actually, instead of thinking like, oh, should I be cutting out carbs or paleo? Or should I be doing no, paleo or like... Yeah. You know, I've watched the Game Changer documentary yeah, and now yeah, I'm cutting out meat. I've watched it too. I've watched it too. Um, yeah. John, an interesting note, if you've watched that, you should also listen to the Joe, uh, Joe Rogan podcast with Chris Kresser, which oh, kind okay. of rebuts it oh, okay, to a good. degree for an yeah, interesting yeah. balance. Not that I'm against yes. veganism, yes. but it's just an interesting balance. balanced perspective. Yeah. So anyway, adding veggies in rather yeah. than cutting stuff out. That's like one of my things. In terms of nutrition, right. that's what I always okay. say. Easy. Yeah. Focusing on sleep, because if you don't get sleep, you will essentially, the next day you're going to eat more 
high calorie food because you're craving energy you're less likely to go to the gym you're more likely to be moody you're less likely to be present so sleep is sort of the foundation i feel for all of the other well-being elements and then the other thing that i think is the easiest thing in the world but really scientifically works but also personally i found it makes a massive difference is just that gratitude practice so every morning i wake up and i think of three things that i'm excited about that day which sounds a bit cheesy but literally like i can wake up and be in the worst mood and i've had a terrible sleep and i think okay regardless of how bad this day might feel right now, what are three things that I am excited about? And then when I go to bed at night, I think of three things that I was grateful for that day. Yeah. And it really does. We know it changes the neurochemistry and we know it actually starts to change the way that you focus on things in your day. So you're starting to look for the positive rather than the negative. Yeah. And that can really kind of shift, I think, how you experience and move through your day. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And so my next question, because I split it into two, was going to be, you, you talked before about the importance of culture even as a foundation for creating an environment where people can have good health and well-being, yeah. right? And so leaders are pretty accountable for culture. So if you're a leader of a team, or a, regardless of how small that team is, or a leader of a big business or small business, what do you think, purely with a kind of well-being outcome in mind, what do you think leaders can do better to help the people in their teams improve their well-being? So that, I mean, we know the biggest thing that comes back in the research is be a good example. So if you're going around eating Maccas in the office and not exercising and you're working outside of kind of office, you know, sending emails at 2 a.m. and stuff and expecting staff to reply, you're the one that's creating the culture and people are most likely going to fall in line. So whoever it is that's leading the organization needs to be the one that's really showing people how they want people to live their lives because whether you like it or not, you're the person that people are going to look to for guidance as to... And it can even extend to the point of what you eat for lunch. Like I really do believe you can see if the CEO is the sort of person who sits there eating big greasy burgers and stuff, people can, to the point that people might feel embarrassed to go and get a salad because they're like, oh, I'm not like the cool burger eating guy, you know? So people will mimic you. So I think that's a really big thing. And something else which... I guess may not strictly be well-being, but it's just like being kind <laughs> because yeah. I think yeah. this underlying like feeling of like constant stress and anxiety and stuff in a workplace sometimes comes down to just manners and people being lovely to one another. Yeah. And it might, you know, I'm obviously not a corporate background person, so I understand it's not always possible just to be nice to everyone. But I do think, you know, saying thank you, telling people they do a great job and that sort of thing is actually really underestimated and can make a massive difference. So a saying, a saying that I use quite often is that you should never mistake kindness for weakness. And yeah. I think that that's something that people get wrong a lot. Yeah. I think you can be kind and strong. Yeah, um, definitely. And, and I think that that's a really, really, really good point. Yeah. So I'm getting the wrap up. We've now <laughs> hit time. So thank you very much for coming on and having the conversation with me. I really appreciate your time. And it sounds like you've got and are continuing to grow a really, really exciting business. And one thing I'd be keen to think about next year, I'm probably looking like stepping deeper into one of our organizations to do some growth with it over the next 12 months and maybe there's a way that i can have a go at experimenting what it does look like to inject some of those principles into smaller businesses and work out methods that are practical and reasonable for smaller businesses to apply that don't necessarily have the the time and budgets that bigger businesses Definitely. do. Yeah. So it'd be great to chat to you about that and I think that work out what free, principles yeah. we can do. Yeah. And then maybe that provides some methods whereby 
there's ways we can help other small business owners kind of inject some of that yeah. into what they're doing. Yeah, I think that's a really great point. You've given yeah. me a good little business idea. Cool, there. no, we should do it. We should do it, free, absolutely. Free well-being for small businesses, I feel like, is the way forward. <laughs> Not great for making money, but good for the world. Awesome, <laughs> Perfect, awesome. thank you, Pete. No, thank you very much. Thank you.